G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. We ask, why doesn't God just kill the devil? Well, maybe we should ask this, why doesn't God just kill you? You rebel every day. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Well, it's a question I'm sure we've all asked ourselves. Why doesn't God just kill the devil? Today, Pastor Jeff will explore this issue and why Satan exists in the first place, going right back in Genesis to chapter 3. The devil, like us, has free will. He was loved by God. In the Bible, he was part of the heavenly hosts with God in the beginning. And God loved him. Every creature God creates, he gives freedom. Why? Because only in freedom can genuine, authentic love exist. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Okay, here's what the Bible tells us that we're supposed to believe. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, here's how it's supposed to happen. That God places Adam and Eve in this beautiful, wonderful garden. That he creates this garden, it has everything they could ever hope for, everything they would ever need. There is perfect community, there is perfect relationship with God, the creator, there's perfect relationship between husband and wife, which hasn't happened since, but there's perfect relationship. Everything is sweet, it's all good. No worries, no problems, no pain, nothing. Everybody's happy, all right? God puts this tree right in the middle of the garden. I mean, not like it's hidden back somewhere where you can't find it. Right in the middle, he puts a tree. And he tells them, look, don't eat of this tree. You can have everything else in the garden. Beautiful. It's just wonderful. It'll meet your every need. But stay away from this tree. If you touch it or you eat it, you're going to die. Now, if that's not bad enough, then the devil comes into the garden. And the devil starts a conversation with Eve. Basically says, look, what did God really say? Are you sure he said what he said? And she reminded him, yes, I'm positive. We can have anything we want in this garden, but we cannot have any of this fruit from this tree right here because if we do, the day we touch it, the day we partake thereof, as they used to tell us in the King James Version, that you will surely die. God did say that. And then the devil says, now, you know, okay, maybe he did say that, but he really doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows that you'll know something that you really want to know and he doesn't want you to know. So he deceives her, tempts her, she falls Then her husband standing next to her who doesn't come in and lead her the way he's supposed to lead. He fails too. All of a sudden you got the fall. Now everything goes south. All right. Death, disease, hunger, starvation. It's like God blows the whistle and says, okay, everybody out of the pool, everybody. And now we have the world that you and I have today, which is filled with evil, disease, pain, suffering, frustration, all of it right here because of there in Genesis three. Now I got to tell you, I don't know if this ever crossed your mind, but I got a couple of questions for God. This is a series called Questions I Would Like to Ask God. Here's mine. Number one, why'd you put the tree in the garden? Why'd I just leave it out? 
Or at least if you do, hide it somewhere where it's not so easily accessible. But you put it right in the middle where everybody could see it. And second, why don't you just put a sign around the garden that said, devil, no trespassing. Violator will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And then he doesn't come in to tempt. Hey, it's all good. It'd be great, right? No problems. There's a movie called Religulous. Making fun of religion, calling it ridiculous. The host uh, is in the land of Palestine. It's kind of a spoof on a documentary. And he asked the question standing at the cave. He says this, I got a question for you religious people. I got a question for you Christians. Why doesn't God just kill the devil? That's a thought. God is more powerful, right? The devil is responsible for so much of the evil in the world. Why not just wipe him out, kill him? That's my question for God. Now, the reason I like this question is because it was my pursuit of this question when I was younger. This is about the time my mother was saying to me, why do you always have to ask all these questions? Well, it's just my nature. But it's the pursuit of the answer to this question that helped me understand a couple of things about the nature of God, the nature of creation, and how God sees my life. And I want to make sure you understand it too. So here we go. I'm going to move, folks, so fast. I got a lot to cover in 30 minutes, so I'll do it in 40. You're going to need to follow and keep up, all right? In order to understand this, we have to go through Scripture, the Bible, really from front to, uh, to back in a very quick period of time trying to digest these things along the way. The first thing, if we're going to understand the answer to the question, why doesn't God just kill the devil, is you've got to understand the creation objective. You've got to understand, first of all, why you were created in the first place. Now, we're going to visit some things that we visited in the past, but I promise I'll do them in a condensed version. We said that the reason God created people is because God is love. The very essence of who God is, is love. He is infinitely filled with love. He wants to receive it and he wants to give it. The more people he creates, the more options he has to continue to give love and to receive love. Now, it's not that God was lonely. We're told in the Bible that when they decided to create God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who had perfect unity and diversity, unity and community, it wasn't because they needed or were alone, but they chose to shed their love and grace and mercy on all that they would create. Now, what's interesting, we're told in the Bible that we're created in the image of God, right? And that image is love. So the reason it's in us to want to love and to receive love is because we've been created in the image of God, who ultimately, in essence, is love, all right? That's number one, creation objective. You and I were created for love. Number two, creation essential. Once God's committed to love, you know where I'm going with this. He's got to be committed to the second thing, free will. You can make a woman do a lot of things. You can force her to do a lot of stuff, but you can never force or make her love you. Love can only come when it's given freely and out of a choice that only a person internally can make. So God then, if he wants love to be the highest value in this universe and we're created for love, he's got to remain committed to allowing you to choose to love him or not to love him. There's no other option because authentic, genuine love cannot exist without free will. Now, can you imagine the tension in the nature of God? The tension in his nature when he realized, or he knew this from the beginning, nothing shocks God. He's got a choice to make. He knows that by giving us freedom, it's going to open the door to evil. Because a lot of men and women are going to use their freedom rather than to pursue God to pursue their own self-aggrandizement and own selfish agenda. And God cannot guarantee that everybody will love him and serve him if he gives us freedom. 
But if he doesn't give us freedom, then there can be no genuine, authentic love in his universe. He knew that freedom would open the door to evil, but he did it anyway because the creation objective in the first place is a loving relationship between God, the creator, and his creature, you and me. Now, every time I bring this point, there is inevitably some person who catches me after the service or raises their hand in the auditorium as I've done that in speaking at universities in New Zealand. I always had somebody that would say this to me. Hey, I got a question for you. I like what you're saying, but there's only one problem with it. And I say what? And they say this. Well, Jeff, hold on a second. We parents take great risk when we have children because we don't know how they're going to turn out. But God does know. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows which ones are going to use their free will to serve him and which ones are going to do evil. So why doesn't God just create those who will be good? Sounds really good, doesn't it? The answer, of course, is that he'll create no one. How? Hey, you saw what happened to you for about 10 seconds, right? You put yourself in the category of goodness. You know you did. But the reality is, even though we're not a Hitler, Stalin, or Lenin, the Bible says that all sin is cosmic treason and all of it wrecks havoc on our family, on our friends, on our relationships, and our community. None of us have totally pure motives. We all struggle with building our own empowering kingdom. We don't always forgive when we should, even though we know the Bible tells us to. If God's only going to create those who are good, nobody's going to be here. And then that ruins the creation objective. So God says, I'm going to create, I'm going to give them freedom, and I'm going to pursue a loving relationship with them. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And today we're asking, why doesn't God just kill the devil? Let's continue now. Now, let's go to the next phase. Number three, creation strategy. By the way, what, what, what encourages me and impresses me about the first two is evidently love is worth whatever God has to endure, no matter how difficult or how much he detests it. Love with us is worth whatever he has to do in the temporary in order to gain a loving relationship with us through eternity. Now we go to number three, creation strategy. Emotions and needs. How many of you play chess? You know, this is not a chess playing church. Chess is one of the most fascinating games. It's a masterful game played by masterful minds. Now you know why I'm concerned about you. (laughs) But the most famous chess match did not happen between two people. It happened between a man, Gary Kasparov, which is arguably one of the greatest chess players ever, and a 1.4 ton computer named Deep Blue. Now, When this chess match took place, it was like uh, the climax of history in the game of chess. Can the greatest chess player, the masterful mind, defeat this computer? And when the articles were written about the match coming up, they ascribed to the computer personality traits, as if the computer cared if he won or not. See, even I just used the word he. He, it, whatever it is, cared if it won, was concerned that maybe it would lose. And finally, the professor of computer science at Yale University had had enough. And this is what he writes. It's on the screen. The idea that Deep Blue has a mind is absurd. How can an object that wants nothing, fears nothing, enjoys nothing, needs nothing, and cares about nothing have a mind? It can win at chess, but not because it wants to. It isn't happy when it wins or sad when it loses. What are its aftermatch plans if it beats Kasparov? Is it hoping to take Deep Peak out for a night on the town? It does not care about chess or anything else. Now listen carefully. Our emotions and desires and internal needs and passions, that's what makes us distinctively human. Here's the question then. If God's primary objective of creation is love, 
if the creation essential is free will, then here's the next phase. How is it then that God can compel us to love him and to enter in relationship with him without violating our free will? The answer is this. I'm going to plant all kinds of desires and wants and needs inside you that only I can fill. That's a brilliant plan. Only I can fill all the hopes, the dreams, the desires, your thirst for significance, your thirst for love and appreciation and intimacy. Only I can fill them. God's going to put them in us as part of the creation that when we fill those needs and desires, we run first to him to see how he intends on meeting them. By the way, that's a great question to ask anytime you're feeling some compulsion. Anytime you feel a desire, a need, a want, you go to God first and see how he wants to meet them. That's why John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. All right, so far, so good. Number one, creation objective, love. Creation essential, free will. Opens the door to evil. Nevertheless, it's worth it in the mind of God to have a loving relationship. Free will is an essential part of the creation scenario. Third, he's gonna compel us through our emotions and desires. It's all well and good until we come to the next point. For every emotional desire and want and need that God places in you that he intends on filling in a dramatic and most satisfying way, the devil offers you an alternative solution. For every desire and need, the devil will provide an illegitimate means to meet your legitimate need. And that's where the problem starts. And the way he meets your needs is temporary at best. He never is able to fulfill what he promises he will fulfill. And the desires that happen or occur in your heart, become insatiable. They're unquenchable. And in the end, it ends up destroying you. So I go back to the question again then. Why doesn't God just kill the devil? Wipe him out and it's all good. Now here's the starting point. Now let me just give you a warning. If you think, and you're in this room right now, that by coming to Christ, your life's gonna get easy and everything's gonna be good, you're in the wrong church and you're worshiping the wrong God and you've given your life to the wrong savior. Because that is not what he promises at all. Read the New Testament, what he tells the disciples, it's gonna get tough. It was tough on me, it's gonna be tough on you. But I will fulfill your needs in a way you never hoped or dreamed or imagined in that relationship. I will give you everything you need, but it doesn't mean there are gonna be things happen over here on the side. Now here's my point. It starts when we ask the question, why doesn't God just kill the devil with that tree back there in the garden? Why does God put the tree in the garden in the middle where everybody can see it? Let me tell you why. Every man will understand this just because we men are shallow creatures. And we're okay with that. We've made our peace with it. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. We might be shallow, but we understand the mind of God on a deeper level in some ways because we know that part of the glory of winning the heart of the woman that we want to marry is that not only that she chose us, but she chose us above and beyond every other option. She could have given her heart to so many people, so many men. She gave it to us. And the way she gives herself to us is different than the way she gives herself to anybody else. God places that tree in the garden, folks, I believe, because without the tree, there is no choice to be made. He wants you to serve and love and follow him with other alternative options that you choose God, you choose to love him, you choose to follow him, you choose to serve him. He wants you, I believe. He wants you to be faced with the test of allegiance and love and service 
He wants you to be faced with a choice and choose him aware of alternative loves. Now, folks, I know you might have some issues with that. Stay with me. That's only the beginning point because to really understand the issue why God just doesn't kill the devil, we got to understand four things about him. The first is this quickly. Number one, do you know that the devil like us has free will? The devil like us has free will. He was loved by God. In the Bible, he was called the morning star. He was part of the heavenly hosts with God in the beginning and God loved him. Every creature God creates, he gives freedom. Why? Because only in freedom can genuine, authentic love exist. So even the angels before we were created had the freedom to either serve and love God or rebel against him. This star of the morning, Lucifer, who we know is the devil, rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him. They chose not to serve God and God allowed them to make that choice and to exist. Now, here's an interesting question. We ask, why doesn't God just kill the devil? Well, maybe we should ask this. Why doesn't God just kill you? You rebel every day. Why doesn't he just wipe you out of existence? Make one less sinner in the world. God must have some kind of plan and some kind of purpose to allow the devil's existence in the same way he allows yours and mine. Now, indeed, on one hand, the devil does have more power as an angelic being. We don't understand the depths of that. He indeed is against God. But that brings me to point number two. The devil can be resisted. He can be resisted. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. And his power, according to the Bible, is completely dependent upon your freedom to allow him to use you for his purposes. That's why the Bible says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First John chapter four, verse four, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God says it's about a strength of mind. Your free will is more powerful than the devil's coercion. You decide what you're going to do. The days are gone of allowing you to say, well, I did this. Shucks. The devil made me do it. No, it doesn't work like that. The devil is not that power to override your free will. He can coerce you, but he cannot override you. We're living in a world today, I want to tell you, it gives way too much credit and power to the devil. He's not like God. He's a fallen angel. He's severely limited. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, I had a brother. I love my brother, still love him to this day. But when we were growing up in our home in Tennessee, he owned a brown Ford. And he would go out every morning and lay his hands on that Ford and cast the demons out. Every morning. And it never would start. And he kept casting the demons out. Finally, I I just said, look, brother, this has nothing to do with demonic forces. It's a Ford. That's what they're made to do. They don't start. (laughs) Don't, Don't blame God for man's sin. And so I just kind of hammered that into him. Finally, I think he understood it. But on a more serious note, isn't it true that 99.9% of the sin in the world is at the hands of free will creatures? You think about it. The example I'm always given when trying to defend God in this issue is, what about that drunk driver who runs over that little child, innocent little child? Well, wait a minute. The drunk driver had a free choice as the hundreds of thousands of decisions he made before he got to that night when he took the life of this little girl. Two planes fly into the towers and hundreds of thousands of people die. And we say, why God? God says, ah, why you? Why do you use your freedom given to you to pursue a loving relationship with me to wreak havoc on one another? 800,000 people are killed by another tribe in Rwanda. We say, why would God do this? God says, no, no. Why do you use your freedom? Yes, God could remove all the evil in the world, but if he did, he'd have to remove all the freedom. And that's the reason we were created in the first place. 
This is Today with Jeff Vines and why doesn't God just kill the devil? We've heard firstly, Satan is a being with free will and also that his power is limited and can be resisted. We'll continue with more answers to this question next time with Pastor Jeff. This is important, but it's hard. God governs Satan's every move. The devil is never allowed to do anything until he first gets permission from God. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.